chapter 13. We're going to complete uh, our lesson from last week where we were talking about the decline of Saul uh, in chapter 13. We read the first part of the chapter last week. Before we read tonight, I just want to kind of catch us up and, and uh, lay out the scene. The Philistines are gathering to battle, and Samuel has told Saul to go to Gilgal and to wait for him for seven days to sacrifice. Uh, it is Samuel's job to sacrifice. He is to oversee it. He is the spiritual leader of Israel. Saul is not to do it. He is to do it. He makes that clear. Uh, when Saul gets there, everyone's on pins and needles because any time the Philistines might attack. So he is waiting. Some people are leaving. Uh, he, some, some people are going to hide in rocks and caves. And, and so there's just kind of this pandemonium going on. You don't know when they're going to hit. And uh, there's worry, and so Saul waits until the afternoon of the seventh day, and then he orders the sacrifice. We see in verse 9, uh, Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. Now, Saul did hear what so many governments have done over the ages. He assumed authority over religion. Uh, and this is a very dangerous business. He was government. Samuel was the head of the religious, uh, the religious part of Israel. And Saul takes over. Uh, we obviously, in our country, are unique because we have that separation of church and state, and uh, that honors saying the church, the, the the government is never to tell the church what they are not or are to do. Uh, we have that separation here. So the orders belong to God's prophet, not to Saul. Saul's disobedience to Samuel involved a presumption of authority in religious matters. He stepped over the boundary of his jurisdiction. And it's so important for us, we, we again, just kind of reviewing last week, that we do not step over the boundary of what God has for us. Uh, you can talk about that in relationships. Uh, you know, the, the, the wife has a place, the husband has a place, and they ought to serve God in the place that God puts them. We see uh, throughout, <coughs> in, in you just look at families today, when a wife usurps her position or a husband usurps his position, then there is unhappiness, misery, bitterness in that home. If the wife does what God has designed her to do, the husband does what God has designed him to do. And if you wonder what that is, check out Sunday night's message. We talked about that in detail. Uh, the, the responsibilities of the wife and the husband. As long as we both fulfill our role, then there is peace and there is harmony. And the same is true for churches. If we just fulfill the role God's given us, uh, within the body of, uh, of Christ, then there will be peace and there will be harmony. When you step outside your place, and that is really what sin is, sin is ignoring God's orders and going with your own way, and what that really is doing is taking the place of God. It's basically telling God, I think I'm better at your job than you are. So I'm going to make decisions that are not mine to make, and I'm going to do your job in my life. Most of our problems in life come when we try to do God's job. Uh, he has laid out a certain set of standards. Uh, we, we do this, uh, uh, we, but uh, society, in marriage. People in, people in the society today are not living, a lot of Christians even, they're not living God's standards of marriage. Uh, that is not yoking up with unbelievers. That is not... Uh, having uh, sexual relations outside of marriage. I mean, people just kind of throw that aside. I think I know better than you, God, so I'm not going to go the route you say. I'm going to do what I want to do. 
And mo- there's, there's a lot of things only God can do, right? I mean, God can, God can uh, set these standards and these boundaries for our lives. We can't see the future. God can. Uh, we can't heal our bodies. God can. Even the surgeons in our land, they can cut, but they can't heal. And uh, they can set up for healing, but God does the healing. And so there's so much that God can do that we cannot do that it's foolish for us to step outside the boundaries that he's set for us. And that's exactly what Saul did. Uh, So when we try to control things that are outside of our jurisdiction, it leads to stress, it leads to uh, worry and regret, it leads to anger, and it leads to a ton of frustration. When we try to control what's God's job, and we try to take that on. And uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. If you just let him have what's his. Stay out of his jurisdiction, stay in ours. So the key lies in committing our plans, our work, our life to the Lord. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of obedience. And Saul got in a hurry. Have you ever gotten in a hurry in your Christian life? That's when we make mistakes. Have you ever been in a hurry to have to buy a vehicle? That's when you're going to get a bad deal. If you if you got to have one right away, and then you if we have time, if we take our time, <clears throat> then uh, we that will be a lot safer. Saul got in a hurry, stepped outside of what God told him to do. Let's start reading. Let's uh, we'll start at verse 13. This is after Samuel. We'll step back again a little bit, but Samuel said to Saul, "Thou hast done foolishly." This is after Samuel has arrived. See what he did. Thou hast not kept the commandments of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. And Samuel arose and gat him up from Gilgal unto Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people that were present with him, about 600 men. We'll read a couple more verses as we go, but let's just ask the Lord to be with us. Now, Father, we ask you to bless the reading of your word. Help us, Lord, to see something in this passage tonight that, again, we always want each of these different opportunities of hearing your word to be applied directly to our lives personally. May you do that. May we be obedient to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's. uh, Saul doesn't appear to be doing the priest's work. He doesn't get... Uh, he doesn't get admonished for that, so we assume he didn't do it himself. He allowed the priest to do it, but he ordered it done. He was taking into his hands the duties that belonged to Samuel. Uh, but let's look at the particulars here, and we'll kind of break down what the sin was and what it meant. He said in verse 9, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. Part of Saul's problem was that he was putting too much weight on outward ritual and not enough on inward righteousness. Now, in chapter 15, we'll hear that great quote, when he pretty much does the same thing again, we hear that great quote by Samuel, obedience is better than sacrifice. Uh, we've used that verse much because it says so much in it. Uh, he, he, here to, he felt to get God's help, he's going to make a sacrifice to God that went against God's command. That makes no sense. But when it it does make sense if you put all your focus on outward ritual rather than inward righteousness, because outward ritual is all about doing things. It's all about the making a checklist of things that I've done, whether it's you know baptism, church membership, 
I, I've talked, I've witnessed to people that don't have the foggiest idea what salvation even is, but they taught Sunday school class and they've, they've got all these lists of things they've done in a church. Uh, outward ritual does not count for inward righteousness. Look at verse 12. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. This is, again, kind of strange reasoning. To disobey God's commands as a way to appease his favor. Now, Saul's not alone in this ludicrous type of thinking. It goes on all the time. Instead of obedience, people offer sacrifice. They do it all the time. Uh, people assume that if they go to church on special occasions or if they are baptized as a baby or whatever uh, rituals that people go through today, that uh, this will put them on a... They're good. I've had people... I don't know how many people have heads. I'm, I'm good. Or God and I have an understanding. Or I was uh, baptized as a baby or... Whatever the case is, they think that they're in good shape. Uh, they don't think about the fact that it is the heart that has to be right with God before it's well with them. Performing outward ritual never appeases God when the heart is not surrendered to Him. God wants our heart. He doesn't want our rituals. He wants our heart. Just like you do as a parent. If we're parents, all of us would agree that our parents... Uh, we, we want our kids to do right, but we don't want them to do right because they're scared of getting punished. We want them to do right because their heart desires to do right. And isn't that a blessing as, uh, as parents when we see the choice that our kid, when our kids start making good choices for themselves? That's like victory, man. I love it to see that uh, because we want the heart. He says here, I force myself. This makes it plain that he knew in a, some part of his brain he knew that it was wrong for him to do this. He did it with some reluctance. Reluctance. He knew he was violating some boundaries here, and he, but, and he didn't have peace about doing what he did. Uh, so to disobey, he had to force himself, go against the warnings of his conscience. You, everybody knows about the story about Chernobyl, that nuclear explosion in Russia. I was reading about that recently, and I heard about all the warning signs that were going on. Many warning lights they had to, to ignore for that explosion to take place. And here, this is what happened was in Saul's mind here. The, the warning lights are going on. Shouldn't be doing this, but I forced myself. He went beyond his conscience. Now, conscience is not always a perfect guide, but we ought to pamper it. We ought to listen to it. Uh, very respectably, uh, because uh, and, and it can turn on you, but Saul should have listened here. Uh, and, and, and when we go against our conscience, what we know to be right, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. Verse 10. And it came to pass, as soon as he had made an end of the, offer, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. So Saul got caught red-handed in his disobedience. It's the seventh day. Uh, he's going to offer some excuses here in a little bit. One that Sam, Saul, Samuel showed up late, but he didn't. He's still there on the seventh day. The altar would be smoking. Evidence of, Sam, uh, of Saul's disobedience would be very clear here. The timing of Samuel's arrival is a reminder that we're not going to get away with sin. It will be exposed sooner or later. The Bible says in Numbers 32:23, be sure your sin will find you out. When Samuel was coming, Saul with no shame went out to meet him as though nothing was wrong. He had little or no shame about his sin. Look at verse 15, or I'm sorry, verse uh, 10, end of verse 10. And Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. Went out there with no shame. Even Adam and Eve at least had enough sense to have shame. Ran from the presence of God when they sinned. 
But Saul was so little affected by it that he boldly went out to salute. The word salute, the original words, means to bless. He was, uh, went out there with a, a, a hug and a high five and Samuel, how you doing? It's not the type of greeting that you'd see from somebody who's feeling guilty about their sin. Because Saul wasn't. It's bad enough to sin, uh, but the act of sin with no shame or little shame uh, makes it even worse. That's what makes our society so bad today. We've always had the kind of wickedness and filth that we have in our society today. The difference is that there's no shame about it anymore. It's wide open. Pride parades, really. Uh, you know, those type of things that are in your face and almost daily we're hearing about these uh, drag queens reading to kids and all these different things. Today, I read today that... Um, uh, who was it? Uh, somebody, I can't think of who it was right now. Oh, Kirk Cameron got canceled, in, uh, which is a Christian actor. Kirk Cameron got canceled in the same school that allowed drag queens to read to kids. They weren't offensive, but he's offensive because he says things about God and such. Uh, we're in a society that sins with no shame, and it makes it worse than uh, sin by itself. Uh, in the Jeremiah's day, the Bible says in Jeremiah 8, 12, were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. I think in America we've seen that people's ability to blush is disappearing. What embarrassed people years ago doesn't embarrass anymore. It's just wide open in front of our faces, which is a sad thing. And well, let's move on here. Samuel asks the question, what hast thou done? Verse number 11. That's a great question. It's the same question that God asked Cain when Cain killed Abel in Genesis 4.10. What hast thou done? It's a good question for all of us as well to ask ourselves. It's a question that urges us to inventory our life. What hast thou done? Might be a good question to ask us ourselves at the end of every day. What hast thou done today? Uh, for good or for bad? It's an, an honest answering of this question will discourage sin in our life. What hast thou done? An honest answering of the, uh, or dishonest question, answer like Saul's going to give in a minute, we'll see. Uh, I, but we, it's an encouragement to us that unlike Saul, we'd live our lives in such a way we'd have a good answer to this question. What hast thou done? I uh, play a little game with my kids once in a while, when they were little, they, they're too smart for this now, but when they were little, I could trick them sometimes, uh, where I'd walk in and, and, and uh, act stern. I know what you did. Why don't you tell me about it? Well, what are you talking about? I don't think, don't act like I don't know. I know what you did. I have no idea. You know, I'm just making it up. And I've gotten confessions out of them a couple of times that way. Oh, I'm sorry. And uh, I didn't know you did anything, but hey, now that you confess, we'll deal with it. But but uh, that's that question, what hast thou done? It's a good question for us. We ought to consider it in our lives. Saul answered Samuel, but it wasn't a commendable answer. It included an explanation and some excuses. By the way, this is the language of a guilty man to that question, what hast thou done? When you start hearing excuses. Look at the explanation. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Saul said that what he did was offer sacrifice. He's not making a confession here. There's no repentance involved. He's basically offering, uh, he's justifying himself. I sacrifice to the Lord. Are you saying it's wrong to sacrifice to the Lord? Again, outward ritual, 
versus inward righteousness. God doesn't want ritual. He wants obedience. And obedience is better than sacrifice, we'll find in a couple of chapters. Uh, the second, we see the excuses. There were three of them. Each one of them begins with the word that. Start in verse 11. And Saul said, Because I saw that the people are scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together to Michmash. So there's three different excuses here. He's blaming the prophet, the people, and the Philistines. Saul's excuse was that, hey, I'm a victim here. <laughs> Isn't that a common excuse of the day today? I'm the victim. Instead of taking responsibility for his actions, he's blaming it on others. That is an epidemic in our society today. Nobody wants to take responsibility for their actions. And this, you know, this comes from small kids. Kids do that very early on, blaming each other. The problem is that where it used to be disciplined out of them, we just allow them to keep doing it into adulthood in this day. And so nobody takes any responsibility. Blaming circumstances and people. He blamed the people, number one, because I saw that the people or the soldiers were scattered from me. Uh, when the soldiers began to leave one by one, Saul decided that uh, to win back the soldiers would be to do an action that was wrong against God, but something he thought he would do anyway to keep them. He was more concerned about favor with the crowd than he was losing favor with God. Verse 30 reveals this. He was more concerned about what people thought than what God thought. We, of course, we see that in Saul throughout his whole life. And this, uh, wanting a good reputation rather than wanting true character, good character, it's a big mistake when we hold the favor of people higher than the favor of God in our life. Big mistake. And we see it ruined him. It's ruined a lot of other people too. It'll ruin us today if we hold the favor of people higher than the favor of God. And then he blamed the prophet. Thou camest not within the days appointed. This is, is not the truth. He did. He didn't come in, and Saul's uh, wasn't satisfied with it, but he did come in the time he said he would. He just came to the last minute, or the last part of the last day. But Saul didn't have the patience to wait. And uh, it is, uh, again, obedience is the key to obtaining God's help, not disobedience. Saul here uh, used the strange reasoning that to get help from God, he would do something that would disobey God. It's obedience that gets help, not disobedience. You've got to get that right. Saul blamed the Philistines in verse 12. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down upon me and Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I force myself, therefore, to offer the burnt offering. The invasion of the Philistines, uh, this is basically, if we want to put a modern term to this verse, this is called situational ethics. I know it's wrong, but this was happening, so I figure it was right to do it. Uh, this situation made it, right to do. And, and man, we use situational ethics today. Uh, I know that's wrong, but I don't know how many times I've heard that statement. I know I shouldn't, but I know that's the way the, way the Bible says, but. And uh, we, then we apply situational ethics to our situation. Uh, this is nothing new. Saul, Saul practiced it three millennia ago. He tried to justify his disobedience because of his pressing circumstances. Can I just remind us that circumstances should not determine our life choices, but how often do they? They so often determine the choices we make for right or wrong. But let's look at a little perspective here now. Verse 13. Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God. He was not impressed with Saul's answer to the what, have you, what hast thou done question. He told Saul 
clearly here. And by the way, look at this. Again, thou hast done foolishly. Here you have a preacher talking to a king. And thank God for men of God that aren't afraid to speak to power. Amen? That aren't afraid to speak. You know who, who else in the New Testament was that way? John the Baptist. John the Baptist preached, man, he laid it out. I heard a pastor say one time he didn't think there was five churches in America today that could handle John the Baptist preaching. He's probably right. Uh, he did not pull punches. Well, we wouldn't let him in the building because he wouldn't meet our dress code anyway. <laughs> the way that John the Baptist dressed. And he certainly wouldn't feel at home at our potluck dinners, amen? We don't ever serve roaches and what the stuff he ate. Uh, but anyway, uh, he, he did that with Herod. They, they told him, Herod's here. Be nice. Be nice, John. Herod's here. So what did John do? Got up and preached against Herod's marriage. You wicked adulterer. And uh, wasn't afraid to speak uh, to power. He lost his head over it, but he did the right thing. Samuel uh, was spoke clearly here. Thou hast done foolishly. He said two things about your sin. It was dumb and it was disobedient. He start, started out by saying it was dumb. Thou hast done foolishly. Uh, thought he had done right. After all, he's the king. I can make these decisions now. Samuel corrected this misguiding thinking very quickly. And Samuel's message is still current today about sin. It's always dumb. Matthew Henry said this, Those that disobey the commandments of God do foolishly for themselves. Sin is folly. And sinners are the greatest of fools. Sin is dumb. We know that at some level. We understand it. We just don't always live by it. What is sin? Going our own way. Ignoring God's commands. Ignoring the way God said it. Doing it our way. And it's dumb. It gets us in trouble. It gets us uh, in a bad way. Think about Saul here. He was sacrificing. Uh, sacrificing to God. That's a good thing, right? Well, it wasn't good here because he stepped outside of God's command and uh, did something that wasn't just like Baptism is a good thing, amen? But it's not good for a baby. A baby's too young to repent. A baby can't even pent, much less repent, all right? They're too young. And uh, so they're not, it's, though baptism's a good thing, wrongly applied, it's not good. And so there's a, there's a, just because it's supposedly a good thing to sacrifice, it went against God's way here. What happened here is really what happened in the book of Judges. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Not wrong, right. But they determined it with their own eyes. And we can't determine what's right or wrong. We have to listen to God in it. So he came out with no shame, greeting Samuel. Hey, Samuel, guess what? I did something good. Sacrifice to the Lord. Problem was, it was against what God had said. And God's uh, good in my eyes plus bad in God's eyes equals just bad, never good. Okay, so I can think it's good, but if it's bad according to him, he doesn't judge me according to what I think. He judges me according to what he says in the word of God, so we need to just be obedient. Sin is sin, no matter if it's done with good intentions, and we need to understand that. And the folly of sin is great. The foolishness is seen in, in that one is quickly deceived by the appearance of things. One is quickly persuaded by the lying promises of sin, i.e. Eve in the garden. One is uh, One does not perceive the danger of sin, and uh, then it's those that make light of sin too. Proverbs 14.9, fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. Sin constantly sacrifices things of value for things with no value in our life. 
and it's dumb. Sin is dumb. Let's remember that. Also, secondly, and I'll close with this, it was disobedient. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God. Saul may have had his excuses, but the bottom line was you disobeyed God. Disobeying God's command is what sin is. Sin is disobeying God's commands. And no one can disobey God without sinning. I can't tell you what I was talking to a preacher the other day uh, just about sometimes the frustration in counseling with people who are doing wrong. And they know they're doing wrong, yet they want to have you fix issues that they have in their life because they're doing wrong. And it's sometimes a frustrating thing as a pastor. You want to love people. You want to be patient with people. But So X is wrong. You're doing X. And you don't like how the equation's coming out. You know, again, back to what I said in the beginning, obedience to God brings help and blessings, not disobedience, no matter if we do it, whatever uh, sincerity we have in it. Uh, here's where people complain that God, God's commands bring bondage, and they don't. God's commands bring blessing, not bondage. The restrictions that God puts on us, they're not barriers to blessings, they're barriers to trouble. He wants to protect us from those things. And uh, so we just need to be obedient. And that's kind of the lesson I want to take away from this tonight. I know that he doesn't use those, those uh, words he uses in chapter 15, obedience is better than sacrifice, but it really could be uh, applied to the, exactly what's going on here. You're doing these things for God. All he wants is obedience. He just wants obedience. Imagine if your children are uh, rebellious and then they try to do some good things to make up for it. I mean... You know, yeah, I like this candy, or I like this pop, or I like this whatever you're getting. I'd rather you just be obedient. We all understand that as parents. That's what God wants. He just wants us to be obedient. We'll just listen to him. And all the things that we do to try to make up the gap of our disobedience, it doesn't mean anything if we're not obedient. He just wants us to obey him. And that's what he's trying to get through Saul here. Uh, Saul paid dearly for this, and we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. Imagine, again, if I remind you, like I said last week, this is two years into his reign. Now, he reigned for 40 years altogether, so that he reigned for a long time without being God's choice. But two years into his reign, he hears, you have been replaced. Your dynasty has been replaced. In other words, he's going to be able to serve in his family. He's the only one of his family that's serving. But nobody's serving after you from your family. God's chosen somebody else. And we know later it was David, but uh, let's not... Let's not let ourselves get in the way of God's will for us. Uh, we'll see later. I, I didn't get a chance to get into it tonight, but God tells uh, Samuel tells Saul that God's plan was for you to reign and, and uh, your family to reign forever. But you got in the way of God's plan with your sin. And we do that. We are our own worst enemies, aren't we? We uh, try to do things our way and, and we just fail, fail, and fail. If we just stop, God, I'm just going to do what you tell me. And we are obedient to him. That's when the blessings come. Thank you, Father, for the past.